We've got so much to get to. Chris Christie says that being indicted hurts Trump in the general election. Christie says that now that Trump has been indicted, he's the only Republican, the only Republican that Joe Biden can beat. He says that Biden cannot beat any other Republican nominee except for Trump. He says getting indicted never looks good. Maybe Trump got a momentary, a temporary surge in the polls, but it's going to hurt him. And this is exactly why the Democrats indicted Trump. Why Alvin Bragg did this is because not because it looks not because inherently getting indicted looks bad, especially on the bogus charges that were fabricated, conjured up. It's because they know people like Chris Christie are going to throw Trump under the bus. That's what this is really all about. It's January 6th all over again. They're giving these anti-Trumper, never-Trumper Republicans, these bitter Republicans like Christie, these establishment guys who think it's unfair. How could Trump do this? How could he always win? And uh, the rest of us look look so silly. So it's just a ridiculous thing Christie has said. Number one, Biden is such a weak candidate that, of course, Trump can beat him. I mean, definitely there's no way you can say that Trump cannot beat Biden, as pitiful as Biden's record has been. And by the way, Trump came close last time without using mail-in ballots. And next time around, we know the strategy is going to be very different. Number two, how does anybody know? How does anybody know who's who, who can win, who cannot win? Uh, nobody knows anything at this point. There's still so long a way to go here before the general but Chris Christie's bitter. He wants to get headlines. And this is what's happening here. Both sides. You got the anti-Republican, the anti-Trump Republicans who are piling it on. And then you have the pro-Trump Republicans who are piling it on the other side. They're bashing people like DeSantis and Nikki Haley. And that's a Democrats. That's their game plan here is so chaos and discord within the party. If you're a Republican, here is your job right now. If you're a Republican, focus on Biden, defeat Biden, focus on inflation, focus on you know, Ukraine, how many billions we've paid to Ukraine, gas prices, and you've got to defend Trump against these bogus, bogus charges. And by the way, you're going to say to me, well, what about Trump? How come Trump keeps bashing DeSantis? How come he's allowed to be so negative against other Republicans, but not other, not Christie? And look, I'm ne- I have never defended Trump. I find it amusing when he says that without him, Ron DeSantis would be working in a pizza parlor, but I don't condone it. Obviously, I don't believe it's a good thing when Trump comes up with nicknames and belittles and demeans other Republicans and his Republican opponents. But that is just Trump. That's Trump being Trump. There's nothing we can do about it. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, that's different and, you know, try to not, add, you know, tr- try to have a double standard. All right. So a lot more to get to. The new mayor elect of Chicago says that rather than sending police to crime scenes, he's going to send more social workers. This is the mayor who's going to be replacing Lori Lightfoot, even more left than Lori Lightfoot. If we ever thought that was possible, let's send fewer policemen to crime scenes and more social workers. That's coming up at the end of the show. I'm going to give you an in-depth analysis of the attack being launched right now against Israel by Iran. And no exaggeration, they're literally launching a multi-front attack. The Iranians are assembling these chess pieces in the Middle East, attacking Israel from all sides. And nobody's even talking about this other than maybe Bibi Netanyahu. This is chilling stuff, so we will get to that coming up. Plus, some of you have been asking me to explain judicial reform in Israel. Well, I'm going to do that. Nathan, Also, at the end of the show, Nathan Lewin, the legendary uh, from attorney, he was interviewed by Hamodia, and he's extremely supportive of Bibi Netanyahu's plan to reform the Israeli judiciary. And he thinks that the left are basically out of their minds opposing this. 
And he even disagrees with Alan Dershowitz, who he clearly has a lot of respect for. So I'm going to read you the highlights of that interview with Nat Lewin coming up. It's truly riveting. If you want to stick around, it's going to be, you know, late in the show. It's going to show, you know, the true loyalists here, the people who really want to hear every last word, because we'll get to those things at the end. But they may be worth your while. Leave me a voicemail. Tell me, send me an email at josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. And I want to hear your feedback on all of that. A new animated movie debuted this past weekend. Not something we usually talk about, but a new Super Mario Brothers animated movie debuted this past weekend. And the movie grossed uh, just it broke. It shattered records. It broke numerous. It shattered numerous records. It grossed three hundred and seventy three million dollars. This Super Mario Brothers animated movie. And why is this significant on a political talk show? Because. The movie producers refused to go woke, and it paid off big time. They were pressured. They were boycotted. People wanted them to use minority actors, and they said, no, we're going to use the most talented actors. We're not going to use the actors who are you know, politically correct, and we're not going to go woke, and it actually benefited them big time. Th- this movie was boycotted. Why? Because they did not use minorities as the voices for the top roles in the movie of Mario and Luigi. For those of you who are familiar with the old, I used to love that video game, Super Mario Brothers, unlike Nintendo, way back decades ago. And they were boycotted. That People said, use a minority, and even an actor. Apparently, there was some Super Mario film in the 90s that used a Hispanic actor, which makes no sense, by the way, because they're Italian. Mario, anyone who knows about Mario and Luigi, Mario and Luigi are both Italian, I believe. I don't think that they're... Hispanic, but uh, that 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 did not make the woke crowd happy. The idea of using Italians because Italians are not considered minorities; Hispanics are. I'm not sure exactly. I can even explain why. The movie stood their ground and made the controversial move of choosing the most talented actors rather than the minority actors. The whole notion of choosing movie actors, choosing judges, choosing politicians, government employees, anything. Choosing anything based on skin color, based on race, based on gender. How absurd is it? You know, imagine somebody saying, you know, I really lo- like that film. I really enjoyed that film. Oh, why? Was it the acting? Was it the plot? What, 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 what was it? The script? What was it? No, the acting was terrible. Boring movie. But the actors were black and Hispanic. So what a great movie. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. So, it, like, it's, and it's dangerous. It gives the left an immense control. That's what they really ultimately want. They want to have control. They want to dictate to us who we should hire who we should employ, who should be, you know, be given these very important roles, who should have the money. So this shattered all expect. It broke, broke a bunch of records. It grossed $377 million in worldwide ticket sales, which is the top opening all time for any animated film. So good for them. All right. Chicago has elected a new mayor. Remember, there was, uh, remember Lori Lightfoot was defeated. And then there was this runoff between the more, like moderate mainstream candidate and then the radical leftist candidate. Well, the radical leftist candidate won. And guess guess what? He's black. The radical leftist candidate, I think I have his name here somewhere, Brandon Johnson, he's black. Now, that's interesting because I thought the Chicago voters were racist. Remember, the reason they ousted Lightfoot, we were told, is because they're racist voters. Well, my, they've had a change of heart. I mean, like my father called me and he said to me, you heard what the racist voters in Chicago did. They elected a black mayor <laughs> to replace Lori Lightfoot. So they elected Lori Lightfoot, even though she's black. So they weren't racist then. Then they ousted Lori Lightfoot. So they were racist. And now they suddenly have lost their bigot, bigotry, their racism or their racistness or whatever you want to call it. And like amazing how quickly they reformed themselves. Give credit to the Chicago voters who overcame their hatred of 
Thanks. You cannot make this stuff up. So Boris Johnson, uh, Brandon Johnson, I should say, not Boris. That's somebody else. He's not black. But uh, Brandon Johnson told CBS News that he plans to tackle Chicago's crime problem by sending more social workers, social workers to crime scenes. I, I'm, I'm not. I kid you not. I mean, I'm not. I wish this were some kind of joke, but it's not. Uh, Johnson, a, a, a radical, radical leftist. He pointed to instances when police killed black man, men as evidence that police officers are not the solution to crime. No, we need social workers. He basically said these are mental health crises. The reason that cops are getting called to these crime scenes, they're mental health issues. They're not crime issues, and therefore we should not be sending police officers. We should be sending mental health professionals. I mean, I think he, he needs men, a mental health professional. I think that he's, he's mentally ill. All right, the Biden administration now wants to ban uh, light bulbs. They want to ban uh, incandescent light bulbs, which are still commonly used by many people, but of course, the radical Green New Deal agenda. We, we, we know about gas stoves, and now the uh, Biden administration wants to ban incandescent light bulbs. The regulations prohibit retailers from selling incandescent light bulbs. They were, but light bulbs, they were finalized by the Department of Energy last April. They're going to go into effect August 1st. And uh, look, these light bulbs, I, I understand that LED and fluorescent can be cheaper in, in the long run. They're more expensive to buy the bulb usually, but they have lower energy bills and they last a long time. So you end up saving money. But that should be my choice. My choice. I should get to decide if I want to buy. Number one, incandescent light bulbs very often are cheaper in the short term. And they're also for dimmers. Incandescent light bulbs are supposed to be safer. There are certain issues. Look. If you decide you want to spend more money on incandescent, for whatever reason, maybe you like it because they're warmer. They have, they they emit more heat. I don't know, uh, but like that should be my decision. I should be allowed to decide if I want to use incandescent. I understand that maybe it's not as good for the climate, but you shouldn't ban them. The government shouldn't ban them. That should be people's own personal decision. You you want to incentivize me? You want to give me some kind of tax break if I buy LED bulbs or I buy fluorescent bulbs that are more climate friendly? I'm good with that. By the way, supposedly. I believe fluorescent light bulbs may be more dangerous. And look, don't quote me on this. Do your own research. But they have a lot of mercury in them. So if they ever crack open, then I think that that could actually be pretty toxic. And look, I have no firsthand knowledge. I just know what I've seen in different reports. So certainly look into that yourself. But that's my understanding. So there might be big health negatives. But Biden doesn't care about that. Biden only cares about um, pacifying and pandering to the, the climate wackos. And by the way, they still want to ban gas stoves. They've been denying it, but there's a lot of evidence, uh, a lot of like internal document leaks that show that the Biden administration wants to ban gas stoves. So I'd expect that to be coming soon. Uh, the White House has released a report about the botched Afghanistan withdrawal. And botched is like the wrong word. Botched is like when you accidentally, I don't know, put the sugar in to the pot uh, of soup instead of the salt. Like that's a, that's botching something. The Afghanistan withdrawal was a complete and total disaster. It was catastrophic. And they've now released a report. They have reviewed the the Afghanistan withdrawal, and they figured out who's to blame. It's Trump. The White House is blaming Trump. You cannot make this stuff up. Predictably, the Biden administration, they, they are blaming the disastrous, horrific, abysmal withdrawal from Afghanistan on Trump. It was Trump's fault. Because he did not leave them with a game plan. He was supposed to leave them with a game plan. Actually, he did. Trump included a clause. He made a deal with the, with, you know, with the Taliban and he included a clause saying that the White House could back out of the, the, the peace deal and of the agreement to withdraw 
if the peace talks failed and the peace talks failed. And by the way, Biden was the president when they withdrew from Afghanistan. And by the way, Biden said everything would be fine. He didn't say, oh, by the way, this is going to be a disaster, but it's going to be Trump's fault. And by the way, Biden is completely incompetent and the worst president this country has ever had. And let's be honest, if Trump had executed the withdrawal, okay, do you not think, do you have any doubt that he, that it would have been executed flawlessly, that he would have done a far, far better job than Biden or whoever's running the show over there in the White House? But it's always, they always blame Trump. Inflation, they blame Trump. <clears throat> COVID, they blame Trump. The border, the border of all things, which was like Trump's, like one of his biggest, biggest success stories. The border, they blame Trump and they get away with it because the media lets them get away with it. So let me give you some details over here. The White House on Thursday, they released this report. And by the way, they released it literally on the eve of a three-day weekend, of a holiday weekend. And Biden snuck out of the White House early like a total coward. Okay, I'll read you the details of that in a moment. The, the, the media, the press, the reporters were taken totally by surprise. And of course, the, the, the White House is not taking responsibility. They are shirking responsibility, dodging the whole thing, blaming it on Trump. The review blames Trump's administration for pledging to the Taliban that the U.S. would withdraw in May of 2021. They claim that Trump left Biden with no choice but to pull out. And the reality is, like I said, the deal gave the U.S. the right, the right to withdraw from the accord if peace talks failed, which they did. Um, here's a quote from the document from the report, quote, during the transition from the Trump to the Biden administration, the outgoing administration provided no plans for how to conduct the final withdrawal or evacuate Americans and Afghan allies. There was no such plan in place when Biden came into office, even with the agreed upon full withdrawal just over three months away, end quote. Unbelievable. Number one, why didn't they tell us this before? Before the pullout, why did Biden sit there and say, oh, no, we have it all planned out. Everything's going to be fine. Americans are going to be safe. And why didn't they sit there screaming and yelling from the rooftops? Hey, by the way. Trump did this. It's his fault. He promised we'd pull out and we uh, have no game plan. And it's Trump's fault. So it's going to be a disaster. They didn't tell us that. They didn't tell us, oh, by the way, $80 billion worth of weaponry, of, you know, uh, advanced military, you know, tanks and weapons and just all sorts of other military equipment, literally technologically advanced equipment that now is in the hands of China and Iran, probably or they're reverse engineering it, figuring out how to copy it. That's all going to be left behind, and Americans are going to be left behind begging to get onto airplanes. There's still Americans left in Afghanistan, thanks to U.S. citizens, thanks to Biden. And they didn't tell us any of that. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to – you could come up with a game plan, okay? Come up with a game plan, or you can change the deal. So – and there was even a clause in there, but even without the clause, you're America, United States. You can do whatever you want. You could say, you know what? We're delaying this by six months. I mean – the, the the government's always delaying things. The government delays everything. What what happened? What what thing does the government do? This is like the one time that the government actually decided to stick to schedule. When did they ever stick to schedule about anything? Um, and just uh, back to this report here, showing the administration's true priorities. The name Trump is mentioned in the report fourteen times. The word accountable appears just one time, and even then is not in reference to the U.S. taking responsibility. For anything, for any part of the withdrawal. They mentioned Trump 14 times. They mentioned the word accountable once. And they're not even taking accountability when they say that. Uh, John spokesman, John Kirby, Pentagon spokesman, he downplayed images that were seen on television worldwide of desperate Afghans attempting to hold on to the outside of departing planes before falling uh, to their deaths. And the document says, quote, during the transition, uh, the outgoing administration provided no plans. I read you that already. Biden's motorcade left the White House more than two hours ahead of schedule. When this report was released on Thursday, get this, 
Biden's motorcade left the White House more than two hours ahead of schedule, and the media was not given notice that he would be leaving early. So literally fleeing like a coward before getting any questions. The president also did not board his Marine One helicopter on the South Lawn, which would have forced him to walk past waiting reporters. He took the motorcade from the front door of the White House to nearby Fort McNair. So they literally changed they they, they changed the schedule to leave early. They changed his route so that he wouldn't bump into any reporters who would actually ask him tough questions like, hey, Mr. President, how can you not possibly take responsibility for this disaster, for this horrific um, debacle? Uh, a White House spokesman told the New York Post Biden chose not to use the South Lawn because the White House was preparing for a Monday event. Why didn't Biden leave through the South Lawn through Marine One helicopter as usual? Well, they had to prepare for some event on Monday. So that's why on Thursday, Biden couldn't use the South Lawn. It's it's unreal. I mean, it's just it's it's I have no words. I literally have no words to describe this. These blatant lies. Trump, as I said, he never forced Biden to pull out. First, certainly Trump did not force Biden to pull out with massive incompetence, obviously. And somehow they're blaming Trump. And Trump, by the way, responded on Truth Social. Trump responded to this report saying, quote, I'm I'm quoting you now. I'm reading you Trump's own response on Truth Social. Quote, these morons in the White House who are systematically destroying our country, headed up by the biggest moron of them all, hopeless Joe Biden, have a new disinformation game they're playing, blame Trump for their grossly incompetent surrender in Afghanistan. I watched this disaster unfold just like everyone else. I saw them take out the military first, give $85 billion in military equipment, allow killing of our soldiers and leave Americans behind. Biden is responsible. No one else. Exclamation point. And yeah, we got to mention, I don't remember if I mentioned this earlier, 13 service members of course, were killed. There was this horrific bombing at the airport in which 13 U.S. service members were killed because of the rushed evacuation and hundreds of Afghanis were killed in that ISIS suicide bombing at, uh, at, the, air, at the airport, at the uh, you know, airport where, where these airplanes were fleeing. So uh, Trump, of course, has always put it better than I ever could in this uh, truth of his, in this uh, truth social posting of his, it really, really is outrageous. Congressman Michael McCall of Texas, chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, blasted John Kirby. He called his comments disgraceful and insulting. Quote, President Biden made the decision to withdraw and even pick the exact date. He's responsible for the massive failures in planning and execution. It's also unfortunate. Uh, it took my subpoena threat to prompt the administration to finally provide the classified after-action reports from the Afghan withdrawal. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. All right, moving on here. Let's get to Iran, like I said, and then we will get to the Israeli judicial reform. Iran is becoming extremely powerful and extremely dangerous, and nobody's doing anything to stop it. Remember how under Trump, Trump and Bibi Netanyahu teamed up to really crush Iran, crush them economically, take out a lot of their nuclear facilities? Well, now we have Biden in control. Yeah, Bibi Netanyahu is in control, but you know I think it's going to take him a little bit of time. He's been very distracted by this whole judiciary mess. But Iran, meanwhile, they're becoming powerful and nobody's doing anything to stop it. Uh, if you connect the dots, here's here's what I've come out with over here. And I, you know, I did a lot of research and I'm going to read you even some, some quotes here from very, very well-written articles about this and analysis. If you connect the dots, Iran is cozying up to the Saudis, to China, to Russia, and to Turkey. Yes, Turkey uh, and, and, and other enemies of Israel, of the United States. Now, Iran has many proxies working together, Hezbollah, Hamas, and Islamic Jihad, and now they're all working together, which is terrifying. And by the way, the Houthi rebels are going to soon join that mix. There's a peace deal being brokered now. Certainly Iran is behind it between 
the Saudis and the Houthi rebels in Yemen, which means the, the Houthis are then going to be freed up. They are Iran's proxies, terrorist proxies. They're going to be able to focus on Israel as well. At least that's a lot of what a lot of experts speculate. Now Iran is conducting war games targeting Israel. They are only days away from developing a nuke. We've never seen Iran this powerful and this mainstream. In other words, they're no longer this fringe state sponsor of terror that everybody ignores. They are cozying up buddy-buddy with China, with Russia. And all this falls squarely on one man. This all falls on Joe Biden. This is 100% as a result of Joe Biden's negligence. And negligence, that's generous. Iran, um, like I said, we got China, Russia, the Saudis. Uh, here's an Let me read you here from an analysis um, entitled, Iran is constructing a new Middle East. And essentially it says, and I believe that was in uh, either Times of Israel or Jerusalem Post, uh, Iran is literally using, as I said, these proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad. Uh, Hamas is now operating out of Syria, which is unheard of. Last week there was a massive barrage of rockets fired from Lebanon, the first time in many, many years that there was a large barrage of rockets fired from Lebanon. Lebanon is Hezbollah territory. The U.S. is highly concerned about the emerging access in the region between Iran, Russia, China, Saudi Arabia. The meeting of the foreign ministers of Iran and Saudi Arabia in Beijing Thursday. Declarations about renewing diplomatic relations, opening mutual embassies were seen as a victory for Beijing. China capitalized on Iranian animosity towards the U.S. and the continuing disappointment and anger on the part of Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, towards Washington and toward Biden. We've a significant achievement out of this bundle of tensions. So again, like we keep telling you, the Saudis are very furious with Joe Biden. As we know, MBS does not like Biden at all. So now that has really destroyed relations between diplomatic relations between the U.S. and, and the Saudis. Now, I'm not a fan of the Saudis. OK, I despise the Saudis, but we need the Saudis. We need the Saudis. We have a common. We did have a common enemy with Iran because the Saudis and Iran had huge friction with each other. And they've decided to make peace thanks to China, because they said to themselves, you know what? We don't like Biden. You don't like Biden. We don't like the U.S. You don't like the U.S. We have these common en enemies. So let's team up together. Yeah, they, yeah they, we know that Iran is Shiite. We know that the Saudis are Sunni. So we know that they kind of despise each other also, but they're putting those differences aside. And that shows you how seething their hatred is at Joe Biden. Okay, so and, and China as well. So this is like really, really very chilling stuff here. Um, and, 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 uh, and like I said, Iran, Israel, Iran is stepping up their attacks on Israel by firing rockets from Hamas, from Hezbollah, from Syria, from Lebanon. Now, I want to read you another quote here from this piece. Um, quote, how far is Iran willing to go? The following story may offer an indication. Listen to this. I'm quoting here. Seven years ago, Saudi Arabia executed one of the leaders of the Shiite minority in the country. Sheikh Nimr al-Nimr, prominent figure in the struggle of the Shiites for rights and recognition in Saudi Arabia, who often spoke out against authorities and Iran openly supported him. His execution on the orders of the Saudi monarchy was the trigger that led to the storming of the Saudi embassy in Tehran, which has been shuttered ever since. The street where the embassy was located was renamed days later Sheikh Nimr Street. Now, last week, even before – that was seven years ago, right? Last week, even before the first Saudi diplomat arrived to reopen the Saudi embassy in Tehran, a journalist happened to pass by, and he was surprised to see that Sheikh Nimr, the street sign, the Sheikh Nimr street sign had been removed. Okay, so I want to repeat that. The Iranians, there was an ally of the Iranians, somebody they supported, a Shiite leader uh, in Saudi Arabia, and he was executed – by the Saudis, okay, seven years ago. 
And in response to that, the Iranians were so furious, the Iranians shut down the Saudi embassy in Tehran, and they renamed the street after this, this sheikh who was killed, Sheikh Nimr al-Nimr. They renamed the street Sheikh Nimr Street. And now the Saudis are reopening the embassy, and before that has even started, the Iranians have taken down the street sign that says Sheikh Nimr Street. What does that tell you? The Iranians, they're like throwing like their own people basically under the bus for the sake of making, making peace with the Saudis. Pretty, pretty frightening. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Erdogan, Turkish President Erdogan, told Ibrahim Raisi, told the president of Iran, they spoke by phone, and he said, quote, the Islamic world should be united against Israel's attacks in Palestine. Um, so Erdogan and Raisi, Turkey and Iran now are um, teaming up again to try to come against Israel. We know there have been many uh, terror attacks that the Iranians have been plotting in Turkey. And, and some some of them, I believe, have been thwarted by the Mossad. But Turkey is becoming like this haven, allowing Iranian terrorists to plot terror attacks against Jews and against Israelis in Turkey, which is very, very frightening. So they are joining that alliance together as well. And then there's an analysis in the Jerusalem Post called Iran Kickstarts Multi-Front Middle East War Against Israel. Quote, a week of attacks on Israel, including rockets fired from Lebanon, Gaza, and Syria, represents the manifestation of an Iranian strategy to confront Israel with multiple threats on different fronts, although different groups may be behind the attacks. These groups are likely all linked to Iran. The groups include Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, others, um, which are proxies of Tehran. They have grown exponentially. Talking about Hezbollah, it has. It used to be a small group. It has grown exponentially. It not only has an arsenal of more than 100,000 rockets, but it has developed more sophisticated systems such as precision-guided munitions. Along with Hamas, it also has drones uh, used to target Israel and threaten energy exploration off the coast, while Hamas has been mostly penned into Gaza since Israel's withdrawal from Gaza. It now appears to be increasingly able to operate out of Lebanon with Hezbollah's approval. The fact that Hamas leader Ismail Hania flew to Lebanon on April 5th, a day before 34 rockets were fired at Israel from Lebanon, shows how it has increased its presence. Hamas cannot fire rockets or operate from southern Lebanon without coordination with Hezbollah. All right, finally, as I said, Nathan Lewin. There was this great interview with Nathan Lewin, one of the most brilliant legal minds that I've ever heard or ever seen. Um, he was involved in negotiating with the terrorists who hijacked the plane that was carrying Rav Hutner in the 1970s. Don't know if you're familiar with that. <clears throat> he fought before he, uh, he actually argued before the Supreme Court 28 times. So Nathan Lewin is just a legendary lawyer and he is extremely supportive <clears throat> of judicial reform. He says the things happening in the Israeli system are scandalous, would never be allowed in the U.S. And talking about the court system. And the only reason that they're getting such massive opposition in Israel is because, number one, outside groups are funding it because they're trying to bring down Bibi Netanyahu <clears throat> and because these proposals were made by Bibi Netanyahu. He calls it Bibi derangement syndrome. He says there are four main issues with the, with judiciary reform. Number one, judge selection. Number two, public disclosure of candidates, meaning candidates for judge. Number three, limitations on what's called justiciability. We'll explain that. And number four, limitations on standing. All of those are in place in the U.S. justice system, but the Israelis have a totally different standard. So let me read you some quotes here from Nat Lewin. Quote, <clears throat> in the U.S. it is well established that a plaintiff needs to have standing to be able to bring a case in court and certainly before the Supreme Court. That means a person has to have been personally harmed with the Supreme Court of Israel. Organizations that cannot show anything other than public interest in some matter can bring a case which results in Supreme Court decisions. In the U.S. that would be laughed out of court. For example, an organization cannot come to the U.S. Supreme Court 
wanting to throw out Congressman George Santos from Congress for defrauding voters. Yet in Israel, three organizations can go to Supreme Court and succeed in getting Aryeh Derry removed as a minister in the Knesset. They had no standing, more than no more than I would have to go to a court in the U.S. and say George Santos should not be in Congress. The other limitation, very important, is justiciability. Justiciability. Uh, is this a case that a court may consider? In the U.S., there is a political question doctrine. Political questions are not justiciable. They cannot be considered or decided by a court. Who should be a minister in cabinet is a political question. If the prime minister decides Aryeh Derry should be a minister, no U.S. court should be uh, no U.S. court would think you can bring an action and claim it's extremely unreasonable for the Secretary of Transportation to hold its, its position. That is totally out of the question. Next, selection power. Quote, one of the very top things that has to be fixed is how you select judges in Israel, how vacancies on the Supreme Court are filled. If the President of the United States publicly sent a letter or called in a justice of the Supreme Court and said, tell me who you think should be on the Supreme Court, that would be a scandal. Separation of powers means judges do not decide who are going to be judges because those judges will be self-perpetuating. Yet in Israel, the judges have veto power. In reference to the selection process, Lewin said, quote, even the judicial reformers in Netanyahu's coalition proposed to pass a bill before Pesach that says the selection committee will consist of three judges and one of them possibly the Supreme Court Chief Justice. That is outrageous, but they have become accustomed to this in Israel. They believe the only people who can decide who are good judges are the judges. That is not right. In the U.S., it's the President and the Senate. Also in Israel, candidates are not publicly vetted until the committee announces who is appointed. Why is it not required that if the selection committee has potential candidates, they make them public and allow them to either testify or submit reasons why they should or should not be selected? It's all secret. That's not the way it should be. Uh, Lewin also says Bibi caved into the left on one issue because of pressure from President Herzog and pressure from the U.S., quote, not only because of Herzog, because of American protesters who I think should be much more sensible, starting with Alan Dershowitz and Erwin Cutler, people who have reasonable approaches for legal process, have been in some ways brainwashed or intimidated. Dershowitz says, this is bad, that's bad, but we'll compromise. I don't think anything is bad. That's Lewin saying he doesn't think anything is bad. He says the Israelis have BB derangement syndrome. Quote, I think Simcha Rothman himself said a lot of the proposals were made by people in the opposition in past years, but now they oppose them because they are suggested by the BB government. There's no question. Just like they say Trump derangement syndrome, it's BB derangement syndrome. They're protesting only because BB's government has proposed it. They don't like BB's government. And uh, Lewin also says that leftists in the United States believe the bogus narrative about Arabs being mistreated. And this is becoming a very, very big issue among Democrats. Quote, I don't know whether it's concern for Palestinian statehood, but there's no question that in the U.S. the concept that the Palestinian Arabs are being treated badly has gained a lot of traction over the last couple of years. 10, 15 years ago, nobody took seriously any notion the Palestinian Arabs living in Israel were being mistreated. Now it's common, not only with Congress people like the squad, but among progressive congressmen, even Jewish congressmen. It's increasing among those who could be counted on in the past to totally support Israel, realize the Palestinian Arabs' demands are simply an effort to destroy the Jewish state, which they are, and have taken it over, and have it taken over by the Palestinian Arab population. Even among Jewish or partially Jewish members of Congress, I grew up on the west side of Manhattan, which was represented by a long period of time by Jerry Nadler, still is. There is this impetus among them to condemn whatever the BB government does. If it opposes and won't accept a two-state solution or urges judicial reform or makes recommendations that accomplish judicial reform, end quote. So there you have it. Nat Lewin, very candid, very blunt. And judicial reform, it's a no-brainer. And it's already in place in the United States. But the same people who support it in the United States can't stand it in Israel because BB came up with the idea. It's like, you know, Trump doesn't like China. We, we defend China. Trump doesn't like Iran. We defend Iran. BB actually wants true democracy in Israel, 
and not the, 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 the courts having incredibly, incredibly disproportionate amount of power. Well, Bibi came up with the idea. We used to think it was a great idea, but now, now we don't like it. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.